Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's February 26th, 1919, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali. The Retrospectors. The spectacular Grand Canyon National Park attracts more than 5 million visitors each year to gaze in wonder at its beauty. But it could just be a massive mine with a load of Burger Kings in it, were it not for the events today in history in 1919 when President Woodrow Wilson signed into law a bill establishing the Grand Canyon as the USA's 15th National Park. Yeah, so various preservation orders had happened prior to this moment. President Benjamin Harrison had set aside the Grand Canyon Forest Reserve in 1893, and although the reserve status gave the canyon some level of protection, there were many people around who felt that a little bit more was needed to conserve the landscape. Yeah, and Harrison's interest in the Grand Canyon went back much further when he was still a senator from Indiana 10 years previous to this in 1882. He introduced a bill that would designate the Grand Canyon a public park. But the interesting thing about it is that the word of it suggests just how uniconic the canyon was to the nation at the time. Mm. He describes it as a certain tract of land lying on the Colorado River of the West in the territory of Arizona, and unsurprisingly, it failed to pass. People were just not particularly interested. And it didn't just fail to pass once, it failed to pass three times. He put through a bill in 82, 83, and 86. Mm. And I don't think it was just the wording. You know, it was by no means a given that something like the National Park Movement would happen in a country like America. The very creation of the USA was about conquest over the wilderness, colonising the natives, the frontier myth. And although it's a nice idea to say we're going to do all we can to preserve the landscape... There was nothing about indigenous people. There was Mm. nothing about not mining it. There was nothing about not building a train track there. I mean, all of that was like, that's what we do. That's America. (laughs) It's just so funny to think back to a time where you needed to explain to people what the Grand Canyon was. But, you know, even though Native Americans had lived in the area, the first European sightings of the canyon weren't until 1540. And that was by members of an expedition headed by the Spanish explorer Coronado. Um, But then because it was so remote and inaccessible, it wasn't until 1869 that the geologist John Wesley Powell led a group of 10 men in the first journey down the rapid of the Colorado River. And Powell was a major in the US Army, and it was actually the Army's engineering corps who were responsible for bringing attention to the Grand Canyon after this long period of time where Europeans weren't really interested in it. After all, it was very difficult to reach. So these surveying parties were going out in the mid-1800s. You know, you had all of these pioneers crossing the country, and there was a bit of an interesting, can we speed this up? Can we find other river crossings? Can we desecrate other Native American sites? <laughs> yeah, you what know? else can we break? <laughs> well, it's interesting. And what's interesting is they didn't really seem to like it at all all or think it was anything particularly exciting. So we've got an account from the 1850s from a Lieutenant Joseph C. Ives. He was part of a surveying party. Sorry, can he- you just mention that his middle name, that C, stands for Christmas. Oh, I mean, no. Joe Christmas <laughs> sounds like a made-up name, but he was the first European-American known to reach That's the so river. Good. Joe Christmas. Sorry, well, carry on. And his verdict was... 
altogether valueless, he said in his, you know, poor TripAdvisor <laughs> rating. He said, ours has been the first, and he wasn't right about that. He had obviously not heard of the uh, Spanish colonizers. He said, ours has been the first and will doubtless be the last party of whites to visit this profitless locality. It seems intended by nature that the Colorado River, along the greater portion of its lonely and majestic way, shall be forever unvisited and undisturbed. I think the best response to that probably comes from J.B. Priestley, who visited in the 1930s. Quote, I've heard rumours of visitors who were disappointed the same people will be disappointed at the day of judgment yeah <laughs> <laughs> well one person who certainly wasn't disappointed by his visit was uh, president theodore roosevelt who really felt as though one of his great contributions could be environmental conservation and he put a lot of effort into it throughout the whole of his presidency um, and after establishing the national wildlife refuge to protect the country's animals fish and birds he then turned his attention to the idea of federal regulation of public land. And although provisions already existed to be able to give national park status to tracts of land, there was a lot of red tape involved. And so he had this idea that he could kind of circumvent all of that with what he called national monuments. And this was a designation that could be granted by the president alone. And so before Congress even needed to be involved, he actually bestowed national monument status onto the Grand Canyon. Which also, I mean, we're talking about this like there was some inevitability to it. You know, it was just luck, really, that a conservationist became president. He became president because of the assassination of President McKinley. Without that... There's no reason to think that it wouldn't have continued in the direction it was before, like with Benjamin Harrison before he was president, trying to do this thing and it never happening. So the way that the Grand Canyon eventually ends up as a national park, well, this was led by a Democratic senator from Arizona, actually, Senator Henry Ashurst. And his father was a prospector who had once sought to just to extract minerals from the canyon. But Ashurst Jr. introduced the successful national park legislation on April the 4th, 1917, and Senate approval came soon after in 1918. But America's entry into World War One and then negotiations over the park's boundaries, those two things together delayed action by the House Committee on Public Lands. And it was only after that, really, that the bill finally moved to the desk of Woodrow Wilson to be properly approved. I think it also helps that Teddy Roosevelt had just died. So Woodrow Wilson sitting at his desk, the war's just finished. Roosevelt dies three weeks before today in history. This feels like a thing you can do that everyone mm. understands, pays honour yeah, to his yeah. legacy. And what the Grand Canyon had on its side by this point that it didn't necessarily have when, you know, Benjamin Harrison first tried to protect it in 1882 was that it had a tourism industry. Mm -hmm. you know, in 1901, the Grand Canyon Railway had opened, which was able to take passengers directly to the south rim of the canyon. Before then, it was an 11-hour ride in a stagecoach from Flagstaff, Arizona, which was the nearest town connected to the railway. Mm. The conditions were fairly bare bones compared to what we might expect now but we do have an account from 1893 by a journalist called Henry Fink which depicts a typical tourist experience at the time so after his 11 hour stagecoach journey he says we reached the Grand Canyon station which at present consists of a log cabin stored with bacon ham canned goods and antidotes to thirst the tents cost a dollar a day and the same is charged for a meal <laughs> But I mean, even once it was given its national park status, in its first year, only 40,000 people turned up. And, you know, you say that the tourism industry was up and running, but I suppose it, it really doesn't look like the 5 million, as you say, Ollie, people who tend to turn up year to year these days. Well, this thing, you do naturally need some infrastructure, don't you? You sort of want to leave it alone. But at the same time, you do, you kind of, you do need like a supermarket on the perimeter so that there isn't just... 
bacon um, and stocks water. Of bacon and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so all that stuff is there now, which I suppose took possibly even as long as up to 1979 when it was designated as a World Heritage Site. Mm. And from that point on, it became very clear, this is what you're allowed to do, this is what you're not allowed to do. You're not allowed to disturb any of the rocks and take them home with you. You can go to the souvenir shop and buy a rock that's a specially sanctioned one. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of that stuff came into place really only in the last 50 years. And there are still parts of the Grand Canyon that have never been uh, documented or explored by white Europeans or modern-day Americans. There are 700 caves there, and we don't know what's in them. Yeah, I think the thing that gets lost when you've only looked at pictures or videos of the Grand Canyon, as I have, is that the vast majority of the canyon has no trails at all. A lot of people, I think picture the idea of hiking it but you can't hike it it's just impossible it's massive slopes sheer drops and incredibly thick brush and there's 277 miles of it too it also varies in elevation from 2,000 to 8,000 feet above sea level meaning that it has a range of terrains that literally goes from cartoon deserts with cactuses in them to (laughs) spruce fir forests that are compared to a Canadian climate and the amount of hikers who have successfully hiked along the entire canyon in one go and keep in mind it's 277 miles of river but 800 miles of walking is about the same as the number of men to walk on the moon so roughly a dozen Gosh. Wow! <laughs> it's also kind of ironic that the most touristy kind of gaudy thing you can do there now is the grand canyon skywalk which is on native american land mm. it's kind of we've got this strange situation now because the rest of it is preserved under the national parks order where actually all the usual development you'd expect in the usa hasn't happened but the bit that was saved for the native peoples has actually become more commercially exploited yeah as a counterpoint yosemite just has like roads and railways and you know the experiences baked within it so you get there and you feel as though you've you're just having this quite sort of i don't know it's a disneyland version of an experience that i think when you go to the grand canyon and i must say i only went there as a little kid you don't have because you can only kind of go to the edge of it and then it gets very very inhospitable very quickly but there is actually a uh, a small town inside the canyon that has a population of 208 people it's called supai village and it's said to be the most remote community in the continental United States. It's the only place in America where mail is still actually carried in and out by mules. You can get there by helicopter or walking or by mule. Those are your choices for getting to Supai. <laughs> That's a real binary choice between humility and flash, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> mule or helicopter. That's hard. <laughs> I think I'd go for convenience, but you know, you feel <laughs> There's like. There's no romance in the yeah. helicopter. Yeah. <laughs> now, this episode first aired last year exclusively to members of Club Retrospectors. Join today and unlock a new episode this Sunday. Patreon.com slash Retrospectors! <laughs> Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.